The culture of endless money that has taken hold must be replaced by a culture of savings and restraint. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Today is Tuesday, August 10th. That was Defense Secretary Robert Gates you heard at the top. He's talking about his plan to cut the Defense Department's budget by $100 billion over the next five years. Today on the podcast, put on your white lab coats. We are following up on one of, it has to be one of the great economic experiments of all time. It's going on right now, and you and I are part of it. All right, here we go. I have my safety goggles, check. I have my oscilloscope, check. And I have right now a big envelope with $787 billion in it. That is our indicator for today, $787 billion. It is the size of the stimulus package Congress passed a year and a half ago. An economic experiment, if you will, to test the following idea. Can government spending pull a country out of a recession? This is the idea of a man who has been dead for 60 years. I'm referring, of course, to John Maynard Keynes. Keynes was an extremely colorful character. You could call him a genius, a jerk, an elitist. He was called all of those things. He was also called a raunchy sexual omnivore. But for today's podcast, we're going to call him simply economist. So a little context here. One way to view recessions is that they represent necessary pain. So when you're in a recession, it's for a reason. We've put, say, too much money into houses, or we've borrowed too much money, or both. And in this view... There's just going to be pain for a while. Housing prices need to come down. People who were making houses are going to lose their jobs. People who borrowed too much are going to squirrel away their money and not spend. But in this view, this view that this is a necessary pain, here's the key thing. The economy self-corrects. As people save and housing prices fall and people lose their jobs, all that lays the seeds for the recovery. So people spend less money on houses, but they'll have more left over to spend on other things like, I don't know, solar panels or video game consoles or whatever it is they want. The businesses in those other things start to expand. Eventually, they employ the people who lost their construction jobs. So in this view, the economy was fundamentally unbalanced before. Way more resources were being spent on houses than should have been. And so this recession is just all part of this necessary restructuring. Okay, but Keynes, John Maynard Keynes, said the problem is sometimes this does not happen. It's not always true that economies bounce back. There are times, very dangerous times, when the economy can get caught in a kind of whirlpool, a very destructive cycle where the economy will get worse or it'll stay really bad. And it actually needs a kick to get out, a kick by the government. So the basic idea is people aren't spending enough money, so the government has to borrow that money from them and spend it for them to stimulate the economy. So does this work? Was Keynes right? For over half a century, economists have been debating this very point. Some people say Keynesian stimulus got us out of the Great Depression. Other people say our emergence from the Great Depression had nothing to do with government spending, and it was just the natural economic cycle. But since the Depression, no one had really ever tested Keynes' theory, at least until a year and a half ago, when the U.S. Congress passed the stimulus bill. And when Congress was debating the stimulus, you and Adam Davidson did a story for This American Life a year and a half ago, and you talked to this one economist, Tyler Cowen. He was a skeptic about Keynes. He was a skeptic about the stimulus. But he told us, now, since we're doing this, we might actually have some data and be able to finally settle the 75-year-old debate. Warning to listeners, this tape is going to have a little bit of music in it because it's from the This American Life story. You've been warned. If we spend $700 billion and the economy recovers within a year, year and a half, I would take that as serious evidence that my view is wrong. 
I don't think it will happen, but I would take it seriously. So, so this just happens to be just the elements that have come together right now have just accidentally created the perfect conditions for this test. Near perfect. I view this, if we decide to, as the first test of Keynesian fiscal policy as a formula for getting out of a depression. The very first test. It's one reason why I don't want to do it. Because in my opinion, the idea is untested. So to spend, say, a trillion dollars on an untested idea, in my view, is a mistake. So Dave, what he said there at the very beginning, you know, I might be wrong. If this works, then I'm going to have to reevaluate my point of view. That is so rare for somebody to say, you know, I might be wrong. Call me back in a year and a half. Yeah. And when I heard this, I looked at the calendar and I thought, oh, it's been almost exactly a year and a half. So we called him back. And the verdict? He hasn't changed his mind. If you just look at the actual outcome, I would say what we did didn't work. So Cowan says, to me, it doesn't look like we jump-started the economy. In fact, it looks like the economy is sagging again. And who knows, maybe this is going to be one of those double-dip recessions. Stimulus, for sure, it works in the short run. The thing is, what happens when you pull the stimulus away? If you simply slide back to where you were, all you've done is postpone that process of adjustment. And I think that's what we're seeing. Could we keep the stimulus up forever? No. So I view it as a kind of short-term fix that gave us some stabilizing properties but didn't really turn the economy around. Turning the economy around, that, of course, is what is being tested. That's the Keynesian idea that we're trying to do here. Government has to go into debt to spend money, but it's worth it because you jumpstart the economy. So Tyler Cowen started out skeptical. Now that he's looked at the data, he's concluded he was right to be skeptical. All right. So we've run the experiment. Nearly a trillion dollars later, we now know Keynes was wrong. Um, we should probably call some Keynesians and see how they're feeling right yeah, now. Yeah, they're going to be really upset. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I got the perfect guy, Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's Analytics. He was a prominent supporter of the stimulus, and it turns out he still is. <laughs> I was afraid this might happen. You can actually tell where he stands from the title of a paper he just wrote with Alan Blinder, who's a former Clinton advisor. Though Mark Zandi couldn't remember the title when I asked him for it. <laughs> Tell me the title of this uh, new paper. Uh, tell you the truth, what did we, <laughs> we end up calling it? Uh, the, the, uh, what brought the uh, Great Recession to an end? Close. How the Great Recession <laughs> was brought to an end. Okay, there. You'll, you'll have to forgive me. There was a, a, a significant amount of debate about that title. How come? Well, uh, the original title was How We Ended the Great Recession, but um, the we in the How We Ended the Great Recession uh, generated the debate. Right. So there is the debate right in that title. Um, by we, of course, he's talking about we, the government. Yeah, and what they found was, yes, we, the U.S. government, ended the Great Recession. Blinder and Zandi credit a lot of government programs, and they say the stimulus did its part. The principal objective of the stimulus was to arrest the recession and jumpstart an economic recovery, and it succeeded. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that the recession ended just about this time last year when the stimulus was providing its maximum economic benefit. So it achieved its principal objective. So John Maynard Keynes, his old theory was right. Yes. 
Yeah, and I think generally uh, the, the economy is self-correcting. Uh, this, I think, was a one in 50, perhaps a one in 100-year event. Uh, the last time we got into this kind of situation was literally in the 1930s Great Depression. So it is unusual. It's not something that happens regularly. The economy does have self-correcting mechanisms. But uh, in this particular period, we got way off track, uh, deep into a ditch. And if government hadn't uh, stepped in, I think we'd be still stuck in that ditch, deep into the ditch. So, Alex, for me as a former scientist, this is not the way you want experiments to come out where you do it and then two people look at the data and they come to exactly opposite <laughs> conclusions. I know. And I know you have, you know, a fancy Ph.D. from some fancy school in Boston in subatomic physics. It's in Cambridge. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I know. But, you know, I used to teach middle school science. And so I'm going to drop some knowledge <laughs> on you. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. I can tell you what we're missing. Okay. We are missing a control group. Uh, How can we possibly know if the stimulus worked unless we know what would have happened if we didn't do it? So would it have been the Great Depression 2.0? Would we have been stuck in a horrible recession? Would we have been just fine? What we really, really need is a parallel universe where we didn't do the stimulus, and then we can compare the results. Alex, I'm going to introduce you to a parallel universe machine. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I poo-pooed your uh, subatomic physics background. <laughs> Actually, it's the closest thing we have to a parallel universe machine, and it's not very close. It's Mark Zandi's computer model. I think you oversold that a little bit. It's the Moody's Analytics uh, macroeconomic model. It's, it's very similar to the kinds of models that are being used in lots of different businesses and in government. The Congressional Budget Office, for example, uses a similar kind of approach when trying to evaluate a stimulus. All right. So what did you do with the model? So the model uh, is um, simulated under a world where there is no stimulus. So no cash for clunkers, no housing tax credit, no Social Security checks, uh, no making work pay, uh, no uh, bonus depreciation for uh, businesses, no new roads, uh, no money for digitizing healthcare records, all of those different things. Uh, the model is simulated without those uh, different policy efforts. Uh, it produces a result, uh, things like GDP and employment and unemployment and inflation, all the, st all the statistics economists look at to judge how an economy is performing, and we compare those results with the results that we actually have gotten, and uh, the differences uh, we ascribe to uh, the stimulus. So, Alex, one of the things the computer model concludes is that the stimulus added or saved about 2.7 million jobs, meaning that without the stimulus, unemployment would now be up around 11.5%. Instead of the 9.5% that it's at right now. But, Dave, I have a problem. Yeah. Haven't we learned one thing? The one thing that we've learned from this whole crisis is that computer models don't get it right. We trusted the computer models before. They told us that these AAA securities were perfectly safe, and of course they weren't. Those are totally different computer models. Oh, okay. So this is an always <laughs> right computer model? That, that, I mean, that's, that's the criticism, right? That these models aren't very good or they're not perfect. For instance, the same kind of model predicted that in the recession, unemployment was not going to go above 8%, and of course it did. But Zandi says, for the kind of question we're asking here, these models actually work pretty well. You can run the models in the 50s and the 60s, and they predict what happened surprisingly accurately. Now, what's interesting to me, though, is when we were talking, when you talk more to Tyler Cowen and Mark Zandi, their positions are actually, they're pretty nuanced. And, and their disagreements come down to details of how the stimulus was spent. And so remember, the stimulus was $787 billion, but that $787 billion was spent in different ways. And it breaks down roughly this way. One third was given out in the form of tax breaks. 
One third was given out in sort of direct transfer payments to people, like either extended unemployment benefits or uh, money was given to states to keep their teachers employed, that sort of thing. So it went directly to people in forms of salary or unemployment. And then a third of the money went to basically projects, you know, energy projects or high-speed rail projects or road-building projects, that sort of thing, where the government spent money and then people, you know, built things with the money. And Tyler Cowen supports some of that spending, but not all of it. And in fact, he supports a very specific fraction of the spending. Even I think that about a third of the stimulus worked pretty well. So I wouldn't say it failed altogether. Uh, I think the parts of the stimulus that kept already existing jobs in place uh, mostly succeeded. They may not have made things better, but they stopped things from having become worse. So it sounds like you're saying that a stimulus can work if properly designed? The best stimulus I view as a kind of defensive stimulus that keeps in place jobs you already have. But the notion that the federal government can spend a lot of money and pluck out the unemployed resources out there and do something useful with them on a quick basis and after it goes through all of the politicking in Congress, uh, that's where I'm skeptical. But the best forms of stimulus are what economists call automatic stabilizers, things like welfare programs that keep the economy and spending on a more or less even keel. They're already in place. They're implemented automatically. They don't require a lot of wisdom from Congress. So stimulus in that broader sense, I think, you know, has a fine track record. But it's when you want to ramp up a very high quantity of spending very quickly and run it through politics, then I get really very skeptical. And I think what we've seen has borne out that skepticism. So for Tyler Cowen, it's like when the government has to decide, do I fund this project and not that project? And maybe they're making the decision based on which senator is powerful or who they owe a political favor to. That's just more putting resources in the wrong place, potentially, and potentially distorting the economy even further. So Mark Zandi, though, doesn't worry about that so much. He says if the government hadn't spent the money, it wouldn't have gotten spent and the economy would still be in this awful rut. And so basically what they disagree about is what that parallel universe looks like, what the parallel universe where we didn't do the stimulus, how bad is it? For Tyler Cowen... That universe doesn't look that bad. In fact, he would rather be living in that universe right now, the universe where we didn't do the stimulus, especially as we go forward into the future, because the government wouldn't have all this debt to repay. Mark Zandi, on the other hand, would rather live in this universe where we did do the stimulus. With the debt. With the debt. He agrees there will be some pain down the road, but he thinks if we didn't go into debt and do the stimulus, it was going to get really ugly. In my view, uh, if we had not had the stimulus... Uh, the cost to taxpayers would have been measurably greater. Yeah, uh, we have to borrow money. There's no free lunch. Uh, you know, we this cost us dearly. Uh, the, if you add up all of the stimulus that we provided to the economy, it was a trillion dollars or roughly a trillion dollars. I mean, that's very, very costly. And we're going to have to pay for it. But we had to do it uh, because if we didn't do it, we'd be in a worse place. So, Dave, i got to say, this is still unsatisfying. And I think I changed my mind. We don't need a parallel universe to resolve this debate. We just need for one side to admit they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I asked them both, like, what would convince you you were wrong? What would prove you were wrong? Mark Zandi said, if the debt turns out to really weigh on the government and the economy, then he'd have to do some soul searching. Tyler Cowen, who's skeptical of the stimulus, said, well, if the economy really bounces back quite strongly soon, then he'd have to think maybe, maybe it did work. So in other words, check back in another year or so. Yeah. You know what's even more unsatisfying to me, especially as a former physicist? I'm used to this idea that once you prove something, 
it stays proven. <laughs> you make progress. Mark Sandy told me economics, in his experience, is not always like that. Even if everyone agrees the stimulus worked or it didn't work, it's not like we're going to have discovered some deep law of economics that's valid for all time. The economy is shifting underneath our feet. I mean, it is changing with technologies, with uh, globalization, uh, with uh, the changing in our demographics. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's ultimately based on how we feel about things as a, as a group. And those things are, are changing all the time. So unlike physics, where, where you're observing something that's immutable and doesn't change, in economics, uh, nothing could be further from the truth. It's changing literally every second. Is it possible Keynes is right, given the way the economy is right now, but that in 50 years he'll be wrong, that actually stimulus won't work the way the economy is structured in the future, the way people behave yeah, in the future? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I don't think uh, theories work uh, best all the time. Uh, you know, I think Keynesianism is works best now in this environment. It worked very well in the Great Depression, but I, I don't think it worked at all. Well, it wasn't wasn't something that we, that was uh, particularly useful in the '70s and early '80s, or even in the 1990s. That you know, other th- uh, theories and thoughts uh, uh, were more important: uh, monetarism, uh, supply side economics, uh, uh, you know, business cycle theory. I mean, all these things have their place and their time. And I think you know, one criticism I have of the, of the economics profession is that people get wedded to one theory and believe that it applies in all times. And it, it just doesn't. It, it varies on the context. It, it depends on where you are and what's going on in, in your at that point in time. So, you know, I, I'm a Keynesian today, uh, but I may very well not be a Keynesian five or ten years down the road. It, you know, I, I don't think uh, these theories are applicable at, at all points in time. Alex, you know, I've actually described economics this way. It's exactly like physics except that all the laws are determined by how everyone happens to be feeling when they wake up in the morning. I know it's unsettling, but you just got to roll with it. <laughs> just got to roll with it. And the waves are breaking If you drift You can listen to the story that Adam Davidson and I did about John Maynard Keynes for This American Life. We will link to it on the Planet Money blog, npr.org slash money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. 